Second Corinthians chapter number one in the Word of God. I, I have some bad news. I opened my trunk this morning and the cat is indeed dead. <laughs> yeah, so we've got a mess to clean up. God bless you. I'm going to buy some more, but I'm going to do it on the way out of town. I'm, I, I just forgot. I forgot. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter one. I saw somebody uh, walking around yesterday with a Rubik's cube. Anybody here, are you a Rubik's Cube person? Any Rubik's Cube people? A couple of you, God bless you. We had a, um, <laughs> we, we, we had, I had a, a man in my church who's a West Point graduate, he's a colonel, good man, loved the Lord, wonderful family, and he had a young man, uh, we were friends, his young man, Joseph, and I, and he was a Rubik's Cuber, he would go to tournaments. Uh, that's what he did. He, had a, he could solve a Rubik's Cube in 13 seconds. I can't even peel the labels off that fast. <laughs> you know, I, I just doesn't work for me. I, and that's just amazing to have a mind like that. And, and I appreciate it. And, and, and you know, I, I'm grateful for the minds of you young people. I, I, I want to say something, and we're going to talk about this this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. Uh, you, you have to realize your classroom is such a small part of why you're here. It's such a small part. I, I, I would say with confidence, you are here, and I don't want to minimize the academics. I, I'm 100, 100% on board with that. I, I, I believe it. I, I'm jealous for you. And so, um, but I would say that God is trying to do a work in your life. And you need to learn the lessons that he wants to teach you while you're here in preparation for this next step, whatever that is, whatever that is. I basically have had three jobs in my life. Uh, when I graduated from high school, I joined the Army, and so I was there, um, and I, spiritually speaking, wasn't on my feet. I, I, I want to say, and I want to say publicly, uh, I would never recommend the military uh, for an unmarried person. I would never do it. Uh, in the 18 years that I pastored a military church, we only had one unmarried young man who wasn't an officer. I had a bunch of West Point graduates. I baptized. Lord, allow me to see a bunch of West Point graduates uh, saved and baptized. It was just very humbling. We had one young lady in our church. She was a West Point graduate, uh, military intelligence, uh, very gracious woman. Uh, she works for the FBI now out of Pittsburgh. And she, um, uh, she got saved. I baptized her. She uh, deadlifts 425 pounds. More of a man than I am, I'm telling you, man. <laughs> But you wouldn't know that. I mean, you know, from here to here, you know, you, you would never have guessed that in, in a million years. But the Lord allowed me to see uh, a lot of uh, West Point uh, graduates saved and baptized and serving the Lord. And they would be in church, but when it came to enlisted uh, men and women, unmarried, in 20 years, in 18 years, one. One. In the vast, vast, vast majority of time, young people, they were running from God. 
to go to the military. So I'm letting you know now, I'm, with my military experience, with my experience pastoring a military church, you come to me asking me what I think about you joining the military, I, I will tell you. And I will tell you I don't recommend it. So I just want you to know that, okay? And I don't want to speak against uh, Pastor Van Gelderen at all, but I would tell you from my experience that, and I have the uh, statistics to back up what I believe about that. Um, so, but the Lord, I joined the military. And then out of that, you know, I ended up, the FAA made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So I went to the Federal Aviation Administration where I served for 12, 13 years. And that's where I was when God called me to preach. And so three jobs I basically had. And uh, I would tell you that those jobs have been and continue to be about the work the Lord is trying to do in my life. Does that make sense? I'm just 61. I'm still a young man. Yeah, let's work on that. Amen. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I know there is a work that he's still trying to do in my life for which I'm grateful. You know, I, I, I want to be like Christ. You know, and I want to know him like we talked about last night. I want to know him more. And I would submit to you, the Lord has been using you in my life. I appreciate your zeal. I appreciate your spirit. And it has been so good for me to come here. You are a breath of fresh air for me. And I want to thank you for being that. And don't ever lose that. Don't ever lose that. Because it's just, it's, these are exciting days in which we live. And it's such a blessing. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter number one. Look at verse number three. The word of God said, blessed be God, even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivereth us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us, ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. So I, I, I want to tell you about the lessons I want to talk to you about the lessons the Lord wants us to learn. Remember I said we're here because God is doing a work in you. You know it's interesting. When I uh, do marriage counseling, sometimes I'll have a wife come to me and say, 
Pastor, can I talk to you and your wife? We're, we're having some marriage problems. And, and I tell her, okay, now, now I just want to say this. If both of you don't come to me, I can't deal with marriage problems. I can only deal with you. And we need to make this all about you. And they'll say, but, but the problem's not me. The problem's him. Or he'll say, the problem's not me, the problem's her. And I'll say, but they're not here. So we need to deal with this. And I submit to you this morning, you're here and you're the problem. And I don't mean that harshly. You understand that. The Lord, I'm asking you to ask the Lord to deal with you this morning. Does that make sense? Pray with me. Lord, I pray uh, this morning that you would do a work in our lives and in our hearts. I do think of uh, uh, Pastor and Mrs. Gilmore right now. I pray that you bless them and their tests that they would come back negative. But Lord, I pray for these young people right now. Lord, as we are um, uh, opening up your word that God, you would do the work in us that needs to be done. Father, you know what we need even more than we know what we need. And we rest in that and we're grateful for that. So I pray that you'd help us today. Help us at the end of this day to be more like Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So God has a work he, he, he wants to do in you. The, the question we have to ask young people, and it's the beginning of a semester, and, and I'm confident if you've been here a length of time, you've dealt with it. And the question is, why is school so hard? Why is life so hard? Why are there these challenges that I face every day? And I would submit to you the answer to that is you and I need to be a student and not a victim. We live in a victim society today. Uh, we are always looking for somebody to blame other than take responsibility for things ourselves. Does that make sense? You get a bad grade, you blame your roommate because they're so loud you can't study like you need to. Or, or you know, you come up shorter in your finances and, and instead of accepting responsibility for it, you blame uh, this or you blame that or you blame your parents or you blame somebody else. And, and, and we will never have the work accomplished that God wants to accomplish if that's the mindset, if that's the approach to what we want to do. A victim says, why did this happen to me? A student says, what can I learn from this? A victim believes his hard times come because God is trying to punish him. A student understands that God allows hard times in order to help him or her to grow. A victim believes God has abandoned him. A student sees God's hand in everything, including the worst moments of his life. I don't want to ask you what, up till now, what the worst moments have been. We, we could swap stories. My wife, when she was a teenager, was kicked out of her house. Her mom and dad, she comes from a broken home. And, and uh, uh, when she was 16, her mother said she no longer wanted her living at home. Kicked her out. Her dad and stepmother said, you, you, you can't live here. And you know, now... I have grandchildren who are that age, and, and it, it, it overwhelms me just thinking about that. I'd never been through that. You know, the hardest time I had was when I first soloed my helicopter and I thought I was going to die. You say, Brother Shaver, what did you do? I screamed like a girl. That's what I did. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but... Um, you know, my son, the missionary going to Iceland, Nate, and his wife is 
uh, in labor right now. I think I may be a grandfather for the 21st time by the end of the day today, Lord willing. And um, um, my son, when he was four years old, woke up in the middle of the night and he was screaming. You know, we thought it was like night terrors or something, just screaming. And so we'd bring him into the room and we'd pray with him and we'd talk to him and, you know, I'd walk him back to his bedroom and we, I'd just sit with him for a while just trying to bring comfort to my son. And, and this kept going on and it was getting worse. And so finally we'd go to the doctor and they'd say, oh, you know, he's got digestive issues, he's got stomach issues, he's got some kind of an infection. And they would treat the symptoms uh, not looking for the problem and this kept getting worse and it kept getting worse and it kept getting worse. And then it got to the point where my son... Uh, was just holding his stomach and doubling over in pain. And it would happen several times during the day and that he couldn't run anymore. I was, uh, my last year I flew helicopters, 1992, I'd gone to uh, two weeks of training up in Michigan. And um, I got done training and came home and my kids, uh, as is so often the case, they'd run out to see dad as he came home. And, They'd run out and come give me a big old hug and I'd hug him and we'd laugh and talk and here would come Nate, come down the steps and he fell down the steps and he's just screaming. And uh, the doctors could never figure out what was going on and um, finally the, 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 we saw the doctor and uh, she had her boss, Dr. John Pecora, come and look at Nate and he recommended some tests and uh, he was concerned. Nate was four. And uh, he said, you know, something's wrong with your son. Now, I could have told him that, I mean. <laughs> but uh, he said, um, uh, we, we need to send you up to Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital. U.S. News and World Report, if you take the hospitals off the coast, Loma Linda in California, Boston, John Hopkins. If you take those hospitals off, it was the number one children's hospital in the country, uh, not too far, 40 minutes from us in Cleveland. And so uh, um, we drove up there and, and they had us meet with the chief of pediatric oncology. That's always encouraging words. Dr. Kiwanuka from Nigeria. And he uh, met with us and he, he was explaining to us that it, it appeared that our son was in the advanced stages of malignancy. And um, uh, he, he wanted to run some more tests and so we did. And we went to the room. This was on a Wednesday night. And Dr. John Morgan, the orthopedic oncologist, um, came in and... Uh, he was a surgeon, and he said, you know, I, I don't know that this is cancer. He said, it may be that your son has a bacterial infection in his spine. And he had a test he wanted to run, and, and so they did a bone scan on my son, and uh, it was identified as a bacterial infection in his spine, but they stopped too early in doing the tests. And so they gave him an oral antibiotic. They sent us home, and he wasn't getting any better. And I told my wife, I said, I, I'm not comfortable with this. I said, I want you to take his temperature every day. Just keep taking his temperature. And he continued to run a low-grade fever. The infection wasn't getting any better. So we called back up uh, to the hospital, and Dr. Morgan wasn't available, and they sent us to Dr. Peter Scholes. And he said, well, maybe you need to bring your son in. 
And so my wife, I was working that night. I was working traffic, air traffic. I can submit to you it's hard to focus on airplanes in the sky when you're worried about your son. I hope you weren't flying that night. Um, I, uh, um, and so we had our, our son go up there and Dr. Scholes ran some tests and found out that that infection on his spine had abscessed. And um, uh, it had uh, spilled over and was uh, over by his hip. And so he said, we're going to have to do emergency surgery in the, the next morning. And so um, we ended up doing emergency surgery. And it's interesting to get to his spine. They went in through his side. And they went in and they pulled a quarter of a pound of pus off his spine. And they shaved some of the spine away and they shaved some discs away and they flushed it out. And I hope I'm not grossing you out too much. And uh, they ended up putting a, what they call a Broviac catheter in to get the antibiotic right into his heart so it could pump it out. And then they um, uh, put, they called it a body cast. To be honest with you, he looked like a ninja turtle. Um, <laughs> and um, <laughs> it just... But now he's on his way to Iceland as a missionary. And we're very grateful for that. He ended up playing football in high school conference MVP two years in a row. And he, I told him, I said, you know, I've got a broken back. And I said, I'm just telling you right now, you're going to have a lot of back problems when you get older. You know, I, I went to this one doctor. He said, Mr. Shaver, you've got some very serious back problems. He said, I have to admit it's made a whole lot worse by your very serious front problem. And... Uh, <laughs> I fired that guy. <laughs> you know, so, so can I say, you know, we face challenges. And where you're sitting, your challenges are different than my challenges. And your challenges are, are different than the challenges of the person next to you. And sometimes, if we're not careful... It, are, it, it will seem as though we are overwhelmed by our challenges. Lord, I, I don't understand. God, you said you won't give us more than we can bear. How does that work here? Because I can't get it. And, and, and if we're not careful, we'll begin questioning God. At losing the perspective that God is trying to do a work in your life. Paul talks about this in this passage right here. Let, let me show you some things. So the question we can ask is, okay, God, what are you trying to accomplish here? You know, with, with our son, and, and, and numerous times I, I submit to you, you know, I would fall on my face before God and say, God, I'm willing. Please show me what it is you want me to know. Help me, God, to learn this lesson. Help me to be more like Christ as a result of this. And Lord, if there's something in my life, God, please, in your mercy, in your grace, show me what that is. And he will. He wants to. Do you understand God wants you to be more like Christ more than you want to be like Christ? I rest in that. Uh, a 62-year-old man was saved last night. Uh, the neighbor of one of the church members here. They'd been working with him for a while and he got saved last night. And, and I rest in the fact that God wants people saved more than I want people saved. How many of you have lost loved ones? Raise your hand. You have lost loved ones. Rest in the fact God wants those loved ones of yours saved more than you do. 
And when I go to God in prayer, I go to him in faith and I go to him in confidence, understanding there's a work he wants to accomplish. And it's the same way in this. Number one, number one, why? why? What is God trying to accomplish? And I would submit to you, number one, it draws us closer to the Lord. Look at verse number three. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth in Christ. It draws us closer to the Lord. He comforts us in our tribulation. In those times when I am discouraged, in those times when I have fallen, in those times when I am defeated, in those times when it seems as though the challenges are overwhelming to me, my Creator comforts me with all comfort. You know, and our, our children were young and we had to correct our children. You know, there was a process we would follow as we were dealing with our children. And, you know, we would, we would talk to them and we would pray with them and we would correct them. And then we would work at just uh, restoring uh, that, that brokenness. And we would bring them close and... And there was just a tenderness in the brokenness of our children. And now even in our grandchildren, when maybe they're hurt or something and they fall and, and all, it seems like all the world's falling apart, you know, mom and dad and grandpa and grandma just, just bring them in and comfort them. And there is a tenderness there. And there is a closeness there. You know, it's interesting for me. Uh, I don't do as well when my grandkids are below two years old. I... They just don't connect with me as well. Maybe it's because I'm too loud. You know, I'm too obtuse. I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. Um, but once they get to two, we're, we're best buds. We are best friends. We are inseparable. And to the point where if they get hurt many times, they'll come to grandpa. And I'll just hold them and I'll love them and I'll, you know, try to encourage them and I'll pray with them and try to point them to the Lord and try to help them through this but man, if I can do that for my grandchildren, how much more does God want to do that for you? And how much more does he want to do that for me? Sometimes it takes the valley of the shadow of death to see the presence of the shepherd. It was that way with our son. It was that way with my wife. We were very, in those times, we were very aware of the presence of God. But you know, sometimes it takes that valley of the shadow of death. We had uh, uh, COVID uh, late last year in our church. We had um, a father and a son who died within seven hours of each other. And I, I was there for the father. And his oldest son, who's one of our deacons now, and his wife, and Jody, who's the deacon, Jody's mom, and Jody's brother and his wife were right there, and I stood right outside of the room. And the agony of that time was only exceeded by 
the obvious presence of God at the same time. And sometimes, my dear friend, it, it takes that valley for you to see the presence of God. Number two, I said, so, so what are we learning from this? What are we learning from these valleys? I said, number one, it draws us closer to the Lord. But look at verse number six. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. What, what's the lesson God's trying to teach us? I said, number one, it draws us closer to the Lord, but number two, it equips us to minister to others. It equips us to minister to others. Uh, you know, I've been at this church for two years. Right after I got to the church, uh, COVID hit. It really impacted us. I, I didn't have my feet on the ground yet, really. And then, you know, we started any time a pastor comes into a new church, there's always issues the pastor has to deal with. I'm not being critical, I promise. There's just, just issues a pastor has to deal with. And those issues were uh, significantly different than the issues I dealt with starting the church that I had pastored for 18 years. And so, you know, I'm still, I was trying to learn those lessons. And, 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 you know, there have been some challenges. And I was sharing with that, that with uh, uh, some of the men here. And they were sharing with me um, some of the similar challenges um, that they had gone through or that their dad has gone through. And those challenges and the way they handled that were such a great source of strength and encouragement to me. Do you understand that? That's why I talked about what I talked about yesterday. Don't make this all about you. At the same time, God is trying to do a lesson in your life. He is trying to do that lesson so that you can turn around and be a help to somebody else. You know, we, we, uh, somebody was talking about, um, Pastor Ring was talking about a dog dying. And how brokenhearted he was, our, so our son, when he was sick. And, and it was between the time... Before they did the surgery and identified it was osteomyelitis, before that, interestingly enough, uh, we named our son after Nate Saint, the missionary. Nate Saint also had osteomyelitis. Isn't that interesting? So, um, so it was between the time the doctor said he had an infection and the time we realized it had abscessed and it was osteomyelitis. He was home lying on the couch and the neighbor came over and she was telling us that uh, she had lost her dog. And while she's sitting there in the living room with us and our son who was there, we had told had been in the advanced stages of malignancy and we were delivered from that. But, you know, we we're still reeling from that. And she told us, she said, now I know what it's like to lose a child. And I was struggling with that. As I'm looking at my son, I'm thinking, no, no ma'am, you don't have a clue. But I have to guard my spirit. And I have to understand the Lord is allowing me to go through this challenge so that I can be a help and a blessing to somebody else. And you know, isn't that the problem? Because here's what happens sometimes. You and I go through this challenge and we respond wrongly. I know that would never happen to you. But we go through these challenges and we respond wrongly and it minimizes the impact 
we can then have on somebody else because they have watched us have that meltdown. They have watched us lose our temper. They have watched us make it all about self and not about God at all. And then we, I have to understand the challenges that I'm facing today. I, um, uh, in 2013, I, I had come back from a missions trip. I preached down at the Dominican. I did a family conference down there. And, and I came back and I wasn't feeling good. And I told my doctor, uh, the timeline, I'm not going to bore you with the timeline, but I told my doctor, I said, I am. Um, I just don't feel good. I said, I, I do the elliptical. I do it for an hour. I'm flying here. But I said, when I get on my elliptical, and I said, after about three minutes, and usually I'm pumping pretty good, I said, I have so much pain in my stomach. I said, I think I have a hiatal hernia. I said, would you be willing to uh, do an endoscopy and see if I have a hiatal hernia or something? And he made this statement. He said, let's check your heart. I said, doc, heart, stomach, heart, stomach. And he said, well, I'd rather be wrong than you be wrong. Guess who was wrong? So it was a process. And um, I had my uh, uh, stress test done. And uh, they came in the room. I'm getting ready to go home. And the, uh, the young lady doing the test who loved the Lord, she said, uh, Pastor Shaver, would you come sit down over here? I said, yeah, Sure. And then the chief of that department came in and he said, Mr. Shaver, how are you feeling? I said, I feel fine. He said, well, there's some anomalies on your test. We need to get checked. And so they sent me up to the ER and the ER asked me, how are you feeling? And I made the mistake of saying, I feel fine. <laughs> he said, well, we're going to go ahead and send you home. So they sent me home. And then they wouldn't bring me back to get tested. Or to do follow-up. And it took weeks after weeks after weeks. And if you remember, I'm VA. And if you remember, uh, back at that time, that was when the VA uh, medical community was kind of falling apart and all of these things were going on. And I got caught in the middle of that. And, and finally, uh, they brought me back in and I met with a cardiologist. And he set me down. My wife was there. He set us down. And he said, uh, Mr. Shaver, how are you feeling? You know, they ask you that question enough times. And, and I said, well, I feel okay. He said, you're a very sick man. And I said, you know, my wife's been telling me that for years. <laughs> I even go to Walmart and they say, sir, do you need help? I said, have you been talking to my wife? <laughs> and so, um, so I, uh, uh, I, he said, you're walking around with one foot hanging off of a 5,000 foot cliff. Now that's, to hear that's good for your heart. So I said, okay, what's next? He said, we want to do a heart cath. I said, okay. So I stood up and he goes, oh no, sit down. So I sat down and, and he said, um, so they wheeled me down back into the ER again. I'm thinking, oh, here we go again. And uh, he said, we have to have a bed open up in the heart cath. So you'll probably be spending some time in the ER. I said, okay. And so I went down there and the ER doctor comes in and said, how are you feeling? And now I learned my lesson. Now I said, well, you know, I don't know how good I'm feeling to be honest with you. And uh, he said, well, you're probably going to be here all night before we can get a test opened up. So I'm, I told Robin, I said, hey, 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 babe, why don't you go grab a bite to eat and I'll be fine. And so she did. And when she left, uh, Pastor Willette, you know, Brother Willette, Pastor Willette called me. We we're just talking 
a shop dealing with some issues. And, and as he did, the curtain opened up and there's this young man standing there. I said, hey, doc, I got to go. I'm having a heart cat done right now. He goes, well, let me pray for you. The Lord help Brother Shaver in Jesus' name. Amen. It was one of those real quick, <laughs> Brother, will that prayers? And, and the young man said, uh, he said, um, do you struggle from motion sickness? I said, how is that relevant? And he said, because we're going to fly through this hospital. So he grabbed my bed and we were flying through. I mean, knocking little old ladies out of the way, th <laughs> throwing people off the elevator. He got me on the elevator, took me downstairs. Now remember, my wife had left. Took me down to the elevator. Now I'm trying to settle things down, so I'm singing to myself, you know, how firm a foundation. You know, I'm trying to sing just to get my eyes on the Lord. And they take me back in the heart cath lab. That was a mistake that I said. Because then my wife finds out what's going on and she comes down there. By that time, my son-in-law's there and they get down there and she's checking in and the doctor said, your husband's fine. Man, he came in here singing, he's fine. So they take me back there and they start doing the heart cath and, and you know, they're running the first time through, they're running up the vein in your arm and they get in there and, and he's, I hear the, the cardiologist on the other side of the screen saying, okay, take it down here. Okay, stop. All right, back up. All right, go over here. Okay, stop. All right, back up. And I'm not hearing him say anything about putting a stunt in at all, a stent in at all, not at all. And so I'm thinking, okay. And then he says, all right, pull it out, step away from the table. So they do it. He comes up and you know what he asked me? How are you feeling? And I said, you know, I don't think I'm feeling so good now, I'm telling you. And then he said, you're a very sick man. And I said, to be honest with you, I get that. I get that a lot lately. <laughs> One of my arteries was 100% blocked. Now remember, my brother had died of a heart attack. Two other arteries were 90% blocked. Two other arteries were 70% blocked. And he said, we're going to have to do surgery. He said, I'd like to wait until the morning. We'll put you on the list number one in the morning. He said, but we got a crew on standby for the night just in case. He said, we're going to take you up to ICU. We'll have somebody monitor you all night long. You know, I don't know how that's supposed to settle you down at all. You know, so we go up there. I had a son who was at a Baptist Bible Translators Institute. Some of you know what that is. It's a linguistic school, not really linguistics, but uh, the foundations of linguistics and uh, advanced missionary training down in Bowie, Texas. Well, he jumped in his car and he took off up there. And he drives up. I have two sons there. And now I have two sons-in-law, all four of them are there. And I had to have the talk with my kids. And I said, all right, listen to me. I said, I, I can't tell you what's going to happen, but I can tell you that God is a good God. And I said, now take care of your mom. I said, she... I have drug her all over the place and she's never complained. I said, but don't let your wives lose sight of the fact that God is a good God. Now, I wasn't real successful at it, I don't think, but you know what I was trying to do? I was trying to be a help to somebody else. That's what I was trying to do. Now, I didn't make it through the surgery. Um, but God's still a good God. Number three, look at verse eight. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life. 
But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Okay, here's number three. I said, number one, it draws us closer to the Lord. Number two, it equips us to minister to others. Can I tell you, that is so much better than having a know-it-all attitude. When God humbles me, and that's what he does, and I'll talk about that more. When God humbles me through these trials, through these challenges, through these difficulties, through these setbacks, you know, it's so much better than me having that know-it-all attitude. I've got it all figured out because I don't, and you don't either. You don't have all the answers. And you won't on this side of eternity. And God, by the way, I want to encourage you when you talk to people, you need to remember that. Do you know, sometimes the best thing you can say to somebody is, man, I couldn't even imagine what you're going through. Do you understand that? Rather than say, well, let me tell you what I did when I was, that doesn't help. You know, I want to be a comfort to somebody else. But number three. As I'm dealing with these difficulties in my life, it removes the self-reliance. It removes the self-reliance. You know, it talks about, uh, in verse number nine, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves. Verse number 10, uh, the end of the verse, in whom we trust that he yet will yet deliver us. It removes the self-reliance. We don't know exactly what these, all the hardships were. We have an understanding of the foundation, but we don't know the specifics of all the hardships that Paul was dealing with, and we don't have to. I almost think a general principle is better because then it doesn't have to be a specific hardship that you're dealing with in your life that would cause you to humble yourself before God and say, God, I don't have this. You know, Lord, you said, when I am weak, then am I strong? Well, here I am. And God, I am dependent upon you and I need you to help me. It could have been anything. But hard times show us that we cannot, we must not trust in ourselves. And then look at verse number 11 and I'll be done. He also helping together by prayer for us. That for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. It draws us closer to the Lord and it does. If you let it. Because some of you, if you're not careful, will harden your heart. Will become bitter. Will get angry. And that's not what God wants. Why does this happen to me? Why doesn't this happen to him? And so we become resentful. I don't understand why I have to go through this. But God does. You know, isn't it interesting? We'll trust him for our salvation. But we struggle. Trusting him with our day to day. It draws us closer to the Lord. It equips us to minister to others. And I hope you take advantage of that. It removes the self-reliance, and we need that. I, I always need to be humbled. I always do. 
But then lastly, verse number 11, it reveals the power of prayer. I am so grateful for the emphasis on prayer this church and this college and this seminary have. I'm so grateful. Can I tell you something? It's impacted a church in Georgia. Can, can I tell you something? Your, your emphasis on prayer has impacted two churches in Kentucky. Your emphasis on prayer is like a, a, a virus. I don't know if you can think of any viruses, but it's like a virus <laughs> that's spreading. And rather than have destructive powers, it's just the opposite. Supernatural power. And here in verse number 11, he says, ye are helping together by prayer for us. Some of us, I'm a doer. Some of us feel like we have to do something. But isn't it the foundation of everything that we do? Isn't the foundation prayer? Isn't that the answer? You know, I, I teach our church. They need to teach their children that during the good times, we need to point them to God and we need to pray, pointing them to God in those prayers. And I said, and in the bad times, we need to point them to God. And we need to pray with them, pointing them to God in the good times. And we need to pray with them, pointing them to God in the bad times. We need that. We need to show people, hey, come on, we need to make this all about God. Come pray with me. I was talking to one of the college students last night about, you know, just life. And when we got done, I said, well, let's pray before we go. Isn't that such a simple thing? Matter of fact, that same college student, remember when I talked about one of the things I would do is I would ask people, hey, is there anything I can pray with you about? And that college student did that. And he said, Pastor Shaver, do you know that person said, Th thank you for asking me that. Yes, there is. Isn't that amazing? I'm telling you, God is sending people across your path and may God help us take advantage of that. And sometimes it's so simple as offering to pray with them about something but also right here. May this church, not just in our personal life, but corporately, and when I say corporately, I'm not even talking about church-wide. I'm talking about you and you, and you and you. Would you pray with me about this test coming up? I've studied, I'm studying, but I'm struggling so bad. Would you pray with me about my bill? You know, there were some things I anticipated and it just didn't happen. Would you pray with me? I know God knows what he's doing, but would you pray with me about this? Are you with me on that? No one's exempt. Here's what I mean by that. You're going to go through hard times. Now you can go through hard times with God or you can go through hard times without God. And what you and I need to decide is that we're going to go through hard times with God. And then as we receive comfort, we need to take that comfort and minister to those that we come in contact with. From God, in us, to others. That's what it needs to be. Pray with me about that. Lord, I pray you'd help us this morning. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the challenges you sent in our lives. Because Lord, I believe it, I can think in my own life specific times where in those challenges 
your presence has been so much more real to my wife and me. Thank you for that. But Lord, I do pray that you'd help all of us to take these challenges and not only see your presence and, and draw close to you, but then to take that, Lord, and be a help and encouragement to others. Would you please? Lord, thank you for the work that you're trying to accomplish, even though, honestly, we don't always see what that work is. And I pray that you'd bless us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.